Hey, thanks for taking a few minutes today to tune in. We pray that no matter where you're listening from, these messages are engaging, encouraging, and relevant to where you are on your life's journey. So this morning, I don't know about you, walking into this space, it feels good, doesn't it? Just to be amongst people who love being around you, the sun is shining, it's a good morning. Um, But sometimes you don't walk into a room quite as welcomed. Have you ever been in a room with an overly negative person? We're going to go right to it this morning. Negativity and criticism is what we're talking about this morning. So how does it feel when you walk into a room with these overly negative people? You know, the people that kind of see a glass of water as half empty, not full. Someone who fixates on the negative in the situation. I had this friend growing up. Um, she just had this way. She was like a specific, like a specialized skill at being a critic. Any situation at all. It could be like a birthday party and there's something that she can pick out that was negative. We went to this concert um, as teenagers and everything in, this, in the concert was just not great. The room was cold. The music was too loud. The, what they were wearing she thought was inappropriate. The list goes on. There was a few uh, of us friends that would hang out. And anytime we got together, like we, when you're around these critical people, it feels like you're kind of on eggshells. You never know if you're going to be the target of these, these comments. And it makes you feel a little bit insecure, don't you think? I find it, like, it highlights some of the things that I might be insecure about. It uh, makes me a little bit on edge. and makes me wonder whether or not I'm going to be the target of her next comment or next thing that she's going to point out. These kinds of people, how do they make you feel? Do you feel uplifted? Do you feel positive? Does it make you feel happy? Does it make your day brighter? Not really. I find that when I'm in a room with a negative person, I actually end up feeling a little bit less about myself. There's not as much pep in my step when I'm around negativity. Do you know someone like that? Here's a hard question. Are you like that sometimes? Do you tend to be critical sometimes? I know that's not very fair to ask. I am sometimes. And the problem with criticism is we can actually see it in the mirror. It's not something that you can easily recognize in the mirror. And we actually feel justified when we criticize those around us. But you're not alone, so don't feel bad. We're going we're gonna to see how we all deal with this. This actually became evident during the early days of the church. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, he actually took some time to provide us with a little guidance in this area. And he speaks in Galatians 5 and 14. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you've been around around the walk for a little while, whether you've been in the church or just in society, love your neighbor as yourself is this lovely phrase that we kind of throw around to talk about how important it is to do good to others. But it doesn't just land there. Like sometimes we read the Bible and we just read the pretty parts that make us feel good inside. But there's more to it because there's a reason why Paul is saying, love your neighbor as yourself. The Passion Translation actually says, demonstrate, your, demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. But if you continue to criticize, so he gets right at it. If you continue to criticize and come against each other over minor issues, you're acting like wild beasts trying to destroy one another. So Paul was fully aware that loving each other isn't always the easiest or most natural thing for us to do. It's actually much easier for us to point out each other's faults, because that's often what we see first. Verse 16 of this chapter actually says, As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. So he points out that we 
have craving, cravings to serve this self-life. It's natural for us to criticize each other. It's natural for us, for our eyes to naturally see negativity, to get focused on mistakes, to, get, to become judgmental even. So this self-life, flesh, or our syndrome, sy- sorry, sinful nature, however it is that you want to kind of coin that flesh, that sinful nature in us, it's actually drawn to selfishness. It's drawn to short-term gratification, and it's drawn to criticism. So it's easy for me to sit in the passenger seat of our van when Lauren's in the driving seat. When we're going to a certain destination, he knows where this is going because I do it too often, and I'm wondering in my mind, why is he taking this route? Why is he going so fast? He knows the speed limit is 60. Why is he going 70? We have kids in the van. Why is he stopping so quickly? What, what is he trying to prove? This literally happened the other weekend when we were heading out to a friend's house for, uh, for, <laughs> for dinner. And we were coming out of the mall, at Southgate Mall. And so we needed to get on the ramp to get on white mud. Lauren takes the left lane. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, why is he in the left lane? We're, like, where is he going? We're, he knows we're going to St. Albert. Like, what? I understand. Sitting there, I'm like, and he could see, I could tell he was kind of getting irritated or like a little bit on edge because I make these comments all the time. I drive him nuts. And so he looks, he looks over and I'm like kind of wording things quietly. Like, why are you doing this? Are you like, not enough for him to hear. But my sister is in the back and she looks at me. She's like, Sean Lee, stop being a brat. You're being so bratty right now. And it's true because as soon as the red light came on, he, Lauren's like, oh, I don't need the left lane. I'm like, mm-hmm. And he gets over into the straight into the other lane to get onto the white mud. And I'm like, hmm, yeah. I'm like, I didn't know. Was he trying to go down to take the Anthony Henday? I'm like, that's not, that's the long route around. I had an idea of what he was doing that was not appropriate. And while you might think that's a little funny, get a little chuckle out out of my criticism, I'm not the only one in here who criticizes. Some people judge others based on how they spend their money, whether or not they are taking another vacation or eating out again. You're like, I know where you work. You can't afford that. What are you, what are you even doing? That's irresponsible. Or maybe you have been in the situation um, where you've been in a grocery store and there's a parent that's there with their toddler and the kid is losing their mind. It might have even been me and Hudson that you've seen and you had words or thoughts for that. Or even better is if you're on an airplane and the kid is trapped in like this little seat for four hours. I mean, maybe you have said comments to your neighbor like they should just discipline their kid. Right? We have these moments. Hey, what about you sit down for your first meal as a couple and your wife was wonderful and made your favorite meal, your absolute favorite meal. But instead of hearing, thanks, babe, it's really delicious, all she hears is, well, it's fine. It's not like mom's, though. I mean, that stuff hurts, doesn't it? It's so easy for us to criticize. And it's though that we, it's as though we've been hardwired to point out the negativity first. And I'm sure as humans, it's just... It's nature for us to slip into these patterns of criticism, into negativity. So Paul in Galatians is actually saying to the church, now guys, heads up, like if this is happening, if you start criticizing, tearing each other down, pointing out each other's faults, well, the result of your criticizing is actually that your words will likely end up destroying the person you're criticizing. 
Now, that doesn't mean that just because I'm pointing out to Lauren that he's taken the wrong route, or I'm irritating him a little bit about that, or that you said to your wife that you didn't like her dessert, your mom's is better, you're not going to actually directly tear down and, and destroy a person based on one criticism. What Paul is saying here is we need to be careful that the behavior even begins. Avoid it at all costs. It may not be one criticism, that one word that deeply impacts Lauren, but that's how it starts. It might irritate him. And now as he finally gets into the right lane (laughs) to get onto the white mud, as we're driving down the white mud, he might sit there silently wondering, well, what else does she think I'm doing wrong? Does she value me as a person, as a spouse, as a father? And so later on when we get into another conversation that might have nothing to do with the car ride, he might actually respond to me from a place of hurt. See how that trails? What if the critical words that we're saying to our spouses or to those that we're in relationship with is actually affecting the intimacy of our relationships? What if the critical words that we're saying to our coworkers or to those that we're playing sports with are actually creating walls between us and those that we're sharing Jesus with? Because when we share these words of criticism or negativity, sometimes people can't even get past the negativity that we're bringing into the room by our criticism. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Ephesians four twenty nine, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. <laughs> As a kid, this, is the, this was the, uh, the verse that I always thought of whenever some, someone said, hey, you shouldn't be swearing. Like this was like the verse that told me that I shouldn't do that. But there's more to it than that. Ephesians, uh, yeah, so 29, I'm just going to continue on into that part of the chapter. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others according to their needs. So that's what it's actually about. That they, it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as in, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Another version of verse 29 actually says, Do not say anything that would hurt another person. Instead, speak only what is good so that you can give help where it's needed. That way, what you say will help those who hear you. To give help where it's needed. That way, what you say will help those who hear you. What if our critical words are creating walls between those and us that we're sharing Jesus with? What if they're not even able to hear the good stuff, guys? What if they're not even able to hear it? Because we get so caught in negativity when we walk into the room, we can have love and love of the love of Jesus in our hearts, but if that's not what's being heard, what kind of help is that at all? We can jeopardize our witness to those who desperately need Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't stand on truth or that we don't call things out, bring things into light that might need correction, lovingly corre- loving, loving correction. But it does mean that what gets corrected has to be spoken from a place of love, carried out biblically, and it always has to be in love. Criticism does not show love. It destroys. But we feel justified. 
This is something that we get so easily trapped in. And humanly, we look for all sorts of ways to condemn each other, to point fingers at other people's actions and words. It feels good to kind of push someone down so you can feel a little bit better. Sounds pretty awful, but somehow, sometimes that's just how we behave. And Christians, dare I say it, we step into such a self-righteous place, justifying our thoughts, our words, because of biblical standards. But if we call something out and not close that in love, verse 32 says, uh, first, verse 32 calls us to be life givers, be kind, sympathetic, forgiving each other as God forgave us through Christ. So you mean I need to stop a minute, take a minute, and check out how this person's situation looks before I criticize? You mean I should take the time to get to know somebody's story before placing judgment on somebody? Yeah, straight up, yeah. We are called to extend grace before we exercise our right to criticize. Grace is giving somebody the opposite of what they deserve. And before we get too touchy on this, I want to remind us that the forgiveness of our sins, that was the ultimate example of grace. We got what we We got something that we didn't deserve. We have available to us something that we don't deserve. And that's the grace that was exemplified by Jesus dying for us. That was life-giving for us. And so we are to be life-givers. We get the privilege of being life-givers, not fault-finders. Criticism, by definition, is to consider the merits or demerits of and judge accordingly. Another definition is to find fault with or point out the faults. So what is a fault? Those are our weaknesses. Those are our failings, our mistakes that we make. Now, I'm not trying to get all negative and like put us all down here, but it's about acknowledging the fact that we all have them because we're human and we're not perfect. But it means then that we need the grace that's been extended to us. We need it every day. If you look into even a small portion of the Gospels, this is the first few books of the New Testament, you'll come to know a little bit about a group of people called the Pharisees. The Pharisees, these, um, we're actually going to look at John 8 and the first portion there, uh, verse 1 to 11 in a few minutes. Um, But the Pharisees, when you read those first couple of chapters, you're going to learn that they were scholars. They had a lot of knowledge, these people. They were dedicated keepers of the law. And so much so, they were so dedicated that they decided that they were going to enforce this law and everyone that they could. And so they often would bring people into public and shame them in front of other rulers, shame them in front of the public in order to get them to confess to the sin that they had, uh, had, com- had done. They were kind of like the law police. They were also so dedicated that they would question Jesus once Jesus came on the scene. His questioning him, questioning him in his teaching and his leadership of the disciples. In this particular situation, in John 8, we're going to start at verse 4. This is the area where he, um, the Pharisees actually bring a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they bring, him, bring her in front of the people and accusing her of all the, the things that she had done. But Part of the reason was that they wanted to catch Jesus in something so that they could then accuse him. So I'm going to pick up in verse 4 of John chapter 8. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? 
they were trying to trap him in saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote in the dust with his finger, and they kept demanding an answer. So they stood up. So he stood up again and said, "All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone." Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they stepped. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, if we were in Jesus's position, knowing all things, I'm sure there were many concerns about these Pharisees that he could have been tossing around. He could have used that opportunity to point them out and criticize them and bring them to shame, but he doesn't. He says, all right. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he continues writing in the dust. We don't actually know what he was writing. We don't know what the words were, if he was just doodling. We don't really know. But it was enough that it made those men nervous. And one by one, they walk away. And I wonder if the reason they walked away is because they were afraid that, hey, does Jesus know how I behaved this morning? Does, is Jesus aware of the conversation that I had with my wife that left us in a fight this morning? I feel like that situation, this is just me reading into it, but I wonder if they kind of felt a little bit of hesitation to even go further because he might just know a little bit about what I've got going in my own heart. Jesus says to them, let the one who has never sinned, he highlights this in their lives and calls them to be honest. Calls them to recognize that they too have sinned. He challenges them to look in the mirror first before criticizing the woman. It stopped them in their tracks. The Pharisees, they lived to criticize. They sought out every opportunity to hold people to the law, calling them out by no means where they're words ever wrapped in love. There's another who lives to criticize, who lives to make us question ourselves, whose sole purpose is to draw people away from Jesus. He accuses us of our wrongdoings, and he's known as the enemy, the father of lies, Satan, the tempter. The book of Revelation actually calls him the accuser. He spends his time tempting us, carefully plotting ways to make us doubt God. He plants seeds of confusion and accuses us when we mess up, when we make mistakes. He tells us that we are too far gone for God to have anything to do with us. He is, an, is a fault finder. The Pharisees, they were fault finders. But Jesus is the ultimate life giver. We have been called to carry the hope of the gospel in us each and every day to everyone around us. And if you look at the people that have been placed in our lives, we would recognize that we've been gifted relationships. We have coworkers, we have friends, families. All of these precious people have been given to us specifically, placed in our lives by God. And as we follow, as we as follow, followers of Jesus, as life givers, we have the privilege of speaking life over these people every day. We, but we have no idea how the negative, the negative comments 
can do, what, what it can do to tear down people in our lives, what it can do to rip apart somebody's self-esteem. How foolish do we look? How silly it is. My sister calls it out. What a brat I was being in just the little things, picking on Lauren and the way he was driving. Why couldn't I just let him be? He'll get us there. But if we take the time to acknowledge that our words can build up, can you imagine what God can do with words of life spoken over people? Ladies, that hubby of yours, he might not be the most romantic man around, but he's a hard worker, and he is so reliable in taking care of your family. Your roommate, he might eat all your food. I mean, that's annoying. But the mo- he's the most faithful friend that you've got, and you know that you can count on him for anything at all. And that gal over there, I mean, she's not the most organized. But if you see the way that she cares for her kids, the little things that she does to bring them joy every day. It takes a lot of energy to criticize. Actually, if you look at it, it can be kind of exhausting. But it's just as much work to speak words of love. What would happen if we spent more time getting to know each other's story? What if we took time to get to know the struggles that our fellow family members or friends, what they're walking through? prior to placing judgment on them. Before a child is able to express full sentences, often what comes out of their mouths is pretty awful. Screaming, moaning, crying, all because of frustration. There's a lack of understanding of how to communicate what I need. They're so focused on the negative things that need to be fixed. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I just need a snuggle. But until... They have words, this is just what you hear. Hudson, our little guy, he's three years old, and we're just in that stage where he has gotten a bunch of words, and he's moved to being able to put together full sentences and communicate to us. But sometimes, because that stage is still new, he defaults to these awful sounds. He defaults to moaning and screaming instead of letting me know that, well, my sister just took my toy and I need help dealing with the problem. But it takes time and dedication for even a little one to move through to a new stage. It takes retraining of something that is a default for us to become um, used to a new way of acting. So sometimes I say to Hudson, buddy, and you probably heard me say it this morning, use your words, bud. You have them. I know you have them. Tell me what you need. Use your words. I think some of us are aware of the wonderful things in people or are aware that we could look a little deeper into people's situation, but still we choose moaning and complaining and criticizing. We choose that because that's our default. I think this week, as I've been preparing for this, I have learned that I need to use my words, but not just use them in the way that I feel like I want to use them. Use them for good. Use them intentionally. Use them with a purpose, the purpose that God's placed in me. Tell the people around you how much you appreciate them. Tell them how much you admire the hard work they've been putting in and how awesome it is to see that they finally reached that goal because they struggled so hard and finally they got it. Tell your spouse how much you love them, even the little things. I'm speaking to myself, let me tell you. I see great things in people all the time. Even with the kids sometimes, then it's like, oh, don't do that. Oh, stop doing that. Why am I criticizing? Why 
It's funny how when we change our perspective, change the way we express ourselves, that we begin to step into something more positive, something that has more power. Our tongues have so much power. It can breathe life into situations or it can destroy. And that's something that God's been working in my life because I can pick things apart like the best of us. Criticizing can be such a subtle thing that we have going on in our lives. Those cutting remarks, they can be quick and you think that there's no damage that can be done. But words of life, if we're intentional about it, they can be just as simply spoken with a little retraining, with a little acknowledging that this needs to to be changed. The question that I want us all, myself included, to ask us this morning is, do we want to be known as life givers or fault finders? For the woman brought to be accused publicly, Jesus was her life giver. She was just about to be stoned to death. Can you imagine the pain in her heart as she's the embarrassment standing there in the middle of this circle? People are just basically waiting. All right, this girl's gonna, she's gonna get it. But Jesus steps in and breathes life into the situation. He didn't speak one word of judgment that day, not one word of criticism. And if the claims were true, I mean, sure, he had all the right. He's Jesus. He could have shamed her to bits. Could have said, oh, yep, okay, go ahead. Start throwing stones. But he didn't. He said, I don't condemn you. Go and from now on, don't sin. He breathed life into her situation and not condemnation. He gave her hope. Jesus is the life bringer. The thief, the enemy, Satan, however you want to tag him. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But the Bible says that Jesus, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't just extend physical life to this woman or a second chance because now she's not going to die. He extended hope for a life that was whole in him. It was a full life that he was offering. And those words that he said, go and don't sin anymore, that wasn't just go, don't sin so nobody judges you. It wasn't about that at all. Those words spoke of hope that we all have in Jesus. The closer we get to him, knowing him, becoming more aware of what he offers to us daily, how we can become more like him, we'll find fullness of life in him, find our purpose, why he placed us here, why he's given us these wonderful people around us, how it is that we can be a blessing to one another. Anyone can be a fault finder. It's our default. But we don't want to be a church of fault finders, do we guys? We want to be a church of life givers. Can you imagine the impact of this community if each and every one of us intentionally used our days, starting from the moment we wake up with our family as we extend out into our workplaces, into our schools, if we use that time to bring life in the name of Jesus, can you imagine how God could use that? We have no idea how one single word of encouragement how God can bring healing into situations. Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning that that we can come here this that we can come here and hear about the life that you bring to us daily, God. We want to confess that there are times that we are critical, 
that we focus on the negativity. Life just gets the worst of us sometimes. But God, we just ask that you come into our lives right now and reveal to us the hope that you bring. Would you call us to be life givers, God, as we go into our weeks, as we wake up in the morning with our families, God, instead of speaking negative, cutting remarks over our family members and our friends, God, I pray that you would help us to find things, bring to our mind the things that are so wonderful about the people you've blessed us with, so that in situations where marriages might be failing, God, that you would use us to bring hope. In situations where our family members might be, or friends might be experiencing um, illness or just devastation. God, I pray that you would help us speak life and hope into them. Lord, I pray that you would help us right now, uh, this morning, to recognize that we are nothing without you. We need your grace. And so we will step this week into walking in grace and extending that to others. And this morning, uh, you might be here as we continue to pray. You might be here because you have yet to experience the hope that is in Jesus. So I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. Jesus brings life. And sometimes we get caught in this, um, get caught in the understanding that maybe we have been lied to by the enemy. Maybe we feel like we're not worthy of this hope uh, that God extends. And so this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to step into that, to accept his forgiveness, to accept his healing and the hope so that uh, you too can, can be a life giver. So if there's someone this morning, if you wouldn't mind just popping up your hand, I just want to lead you in a prayer this morning. If that's, if that's you wanting to accept the hope that Jesus offers. So Jesus, this morning, I just ask you to come into my life. Just pray it along with me. Jesus, come, al come alongside of me, Lord, and uh, help me see the life that you bring. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would help me give me the strength and the understanding of how to walk this life with you as my hope so that I too can become a life giver. In Jesus' name, amen. There are so many questions that you may have about faith in Jesus. Can I encourage you to explore those questions for yourself? God is not afraid of your questions. Rather, he welcomes them. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, and be sure to never miss an episode. If you find these talks beneficial, would you rate and review them? That would help others get connected to these kinds of talks. Have a great day. Can't wait to hang with you again next week.